Well, when God promised Moses that he had come down to rescue his people from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up and out of that land into a land flowing with milk and honey, it wasn't very long before they realized that the land's not just flowing with milk and honey, was it? There were other things like enemies and problems and difficulties, enemies that needed to be resisted and subdued. And the promised land is just really a beautiful picture of the Christian life, not so much depicting uh, heaven because there's no wars as such in heaven. First Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that, that that's what God wants us to do is to look at uh, Old Testament incidents in light of the spiritual application of, of the Christian life. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 says that these things have been written down to help us understand salvation, redemption, and what being a Christian is really all about. Now, life in the promised land was, is very much like new life in Christ, if you think about it. Wonderful blessings of abundance, God's promise, uh, our inheritance, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and gives us new life. Everything flowing, really, everything that we need in Jesus, the sweet presence of God and his love and promises, rest and peace. Uh, but his kingdom is not without threats and danger and opposition. It's a beautiful prophetic picture of what's happening in us, isn't it? Um, metaphors and idioms to fight the good fight of faith, Paul tells Timothy. And then Paul to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is within you to work and to will for his good pleasure. You know, first Timothy chapter six, uh, uh, we are, the metaphor is used that we are soldiers and also uh, we are dressed in armor, of course, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. So God has led us up and out of slavery or our Egypt, if you will, and delivered us from the cruel taskmaster, really, the devil himself. I love Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's brought us into a pretty good place. The parallels are really striking. And so God in his wisdom thought it was a good thing to let us with his help duke it out in this life. He has a plan to use struggle in our hearts and lives. It makes us strong gives us character, matures us in the faith, uh, that we become complete, not lacking in anything. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. So, okay, here we are. Uh, first and second Samuel. Second Samuel now closing out. Israel's enemies are mainly the Philistines. And tonight, we're going to be reminded, just in a paragraph or two, about their relentless attacks and what does that mean for us? Because it's really a picture and some spiritual application very valuable to us tonight about how God gives his people victory over them. And for now, uh, we all have Philistines. So if you have a Philistine, it would be good to pay attention tonight. So here comes a shotgun blast of four quick battles with the Philistines, all right? Four 
battles and four quick victories. It's from verse 15 to the end of the chapter, and that's what are going to be, is going to be our text for this evening. Starting in verse 15. Now, once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. Now, David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Banab, now that's a name that Adam did not consider as for his child, uh, one, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to David's rescue. That's David's nephew through his sister. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. In the course of time, now, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, some dude with a really weird name <laughs> killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. Verse 19, in another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of th that guy, the Bethlehemite, killed, killed Goliath the Gittite. It should have Goliath's brother, and I, I'm going to talk about that, who had a spear with a shaft and a weaver's rod. Verse 20, in still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 digits in all, right? <laughs> he also was descended from Rapha. Now, when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. Now, four quick battles, four decisive uh, victories, and we're going to take a look at this tonight. Now, since, as I said, the Holy Spirit, um, through Paul in Corinthians chapter 10, points out that we are to make um, spiritual applications from these incidents, that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the four quick battles and see what we can learn about this spiritual warfare that we're involved in. If you're taking notes, first of all, I would say uh, the first lesson is that we are in an ever-present struggle. The Philistines really never go away. And uh, struggle is a normal part of our Christian life. And uh, our Philistines come in three assorted flavors. Uh, number one, it's the sinful nature that wars against the spirit, that uh, the core of who we are outside of Christ is programmed against Christ. Uh, wants to do its own thing. We sang it tonight, didn't we? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's one of the areas where the Philistines uh, reside. Uh, the second area where we get the Philistines is the world trying to squeeze us into its mold. Romans chapter 12 uh, exhorts us not to let that happen by the renewal of our mind by the Holy Spirit. And the third area where we have Philistines is the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That's a direct quote from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. So those are the three areas that we have enemies. We come into the Christian life and uh, it's described as warfare. 
Now, uh, let's understand what's going on in these little snippets and how it relates to us. So first of all, I would say lesson number one from the first battle is the, the size of the problem is irrelevant. All of these Philistines are huge and they're related to a word, Rafa, which translated giant. And so the, the common denominator in all four battles is that they involve men of extraordinary size and power. So all four descendants of Rafa, the King James just calls a giant because it does can mean that, uh, but, but better related to Rephaim. So you see, you can hear sort of a similarity there. Now, uh, there's a reference in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 11. Uh, Og, king of Bashan, if you recall, uh, he was one of the Raphaim. So he's a descendant or progenitor, in fact, one of the fathers of these gigantic-sized men. Uh, his bed there, Deuteronomy 3, just mentions, I think it's uh, very interesting. The bed was 13 feet long by 6 feet wide. So it's just funny that the Holy Spirit just says, oh, let me just tell you what he was sleeping in. All right, so uh, you can imagine. Now, uh, a, a few strands of these large-framed ancients are referenced within the Old Testament. You have the Nephilim. Uh, I can never say that word, you know? It's a hard one. Uh, Genesis 6 uh, and in Numbers 13, they were seen spied out in the land, and the Israelites came back, and they said, man, alive, we look like grasshoppers compared to those guys. And then there's the Anakim in, in Deuteronomy 2 and uh, verse 21, and then there's the Emim in Deuteronomy 2 and verse 10. And so there are various strains of these uh, larger framed ancient warriors that Israel kind of had to deal with. Now, spiritually speaking, we all face giants. And you know what? Um, for example, Sarah's infertility. You want to talk about a giant to face. Uh, considering the promise, you're going to have a child. Uh, what, what was it? Genesis 17, Abraham falls down on his face. He laughs to himself and says, a son for me at 100 and Sarah at 90. Well, the Lord didn't say anything to him right then, but then Sarah did the same thing in the next chapter, Genesis 18. Uh, Sarah's told, and Sarah laughs to herself, like this pleasure is going to happen to me. And then here, let me read it to you. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm so old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord speaking. Is anything too hard for me, the Lord? I will return to you at an appointed time next year, and Sarah will indeed have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in the whole Bible is that last, yeah, you did. <laughs> Just, God's uh, people have no reason to scornfully laugh at any of the hope or the promises that God has made for his people in light of whatever giant has come to oppose or defy him and his goodwill in your life. It's just ridiculous. And, and when you think of who God is, that he's our father and his power that he spoke in the universe leapt into existence, come on. And then 
And once you read the Gospels, it's over as far as you cowering in fear with some gigantic problem of yours. Come on. Uh, Jesus looks at the storm and says, shh, and the storm just stops. He provides food, what, out of real meager provisions, <laughs> you know, a few fish and a few little barley loaves, little buns, 5,000 people fed. And a lot more than that, they were just counting the guys out of a little lunch. Come on. He heals uh, our lameness. He breaks the power of the devil. It doesn't matter if there are 2,000 devils inside. That's a big, gigantic problem. But they go fleeing. He can raise dead things to life. It was Jesus, God the Son, who said, with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19 and verse 26. The size of your problem is irrelevant. The size of your God is what matters. So here comes the first battle, 15 through 17. Let's take a look at it. Uh, I, I say, here's a lesson. God's leaders are not superhuman. They need help from time to time. So let's walk through it. Big boy number one in battle number one, Ishbi Benob. All right? I'm afraid already just because of his name. No. He towers over David in size and physical strength. Uh, the spearhead is only half the weight of Goliath's, but it is 7.5 pounds. It's uh, formidable for sure. Now, very interesting verse 16 to me. Uh, it's a new weapon, and the uh, Bible editors will add sword, but the word sword really doesn't appear. It's a new thing. It's a new, and since in Hebrew, it's a pretty good guess sword. It probably was a new sword. But uh, since the word for sword is, is feminine in the Hebrew, and so is the word new. So commentators and Bible scholars are saying it's implying a sword. And so because to leave it with nothing is kind of odd. But you know what? I prefer it to leave it as it is with nothing because then you would have this guy comes at David with something new. Exactly. Something new, which is an old strategy. Because when the devil knows the same old thing, you caught on to him. Because you know what he's like? He overplays his hand, man. And we kind of catch on. This is one of my problems. This is an area. This is how he works. He gets me every time and then stop. We get smart and then we're doing all right. And now he has to think what he has to think. I've got to find something new. How do you fight against something new? Well, the New Testament probably uh, a dozen times saying be alert and aware, vigilant and sober minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. But the first thing there, 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8, right in there, he's saying, be alert. Open the eyes of your spiritual understanding and know that you're a target. Not so much that you're so significant, but because of the one who's after you and abiding in you, the damage that you can do just because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're a threat to that whole kingdom. And so... Uh, you'll notice that this guy, he has one goal with his new weapon. Uh, I will kill David, all right? Uh, verse 16. Now, why single out David? You know, as a pastor, I just took that such offense to that, you know? I mean, there's a whole congregation of Israel, and why are you just going after the leader? Because if you kill the leader, you can get the followers too. 
And so, you know, often kings would go into battle uh, disguised because really the other side was oh, really just interested. Just kill the kingpin right there. Just take him out and it's going to really mess them up. First Kings chapter 22, you see that very thing happening. Here's a, here's a quote on this passage. Pray for your pastors and leaders. Surround them with your love, loyalty, and prayers. Look out for them and their families. They are a preferred target because of their position. So build them up, encourage them, defend them, come to their rescue, pray for them, because caring for them is an investment in your own spiritual well-being. Now, Ishbi was thinking along those lines when he said, you know what, listen, I'm going to kill David. And David alone, I'm going after David. After the close shave with him and his newfangled weapon, uh, Team Israel realizes David's important role, right? And what do they say there? They say in this first battle, hey, David, we got to watch it with you from now on. We got to take a little bit better care. We better rethink this. Um, if your light gets snuffed out, it's going to be dark around here for a little while. With God's help, David was had protection, and he was stability and direction and offered guidance. He was called the lamp of Israel. Well, you know what? David knew his place. He wasn't an egotistical kind of guy. Uh, Calling somebody the lamp of Israel or the light of the the Lord is something, an exhortation that, that belongs to you and to me. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 let your light so shine before the world and others that they may see uh, your good works and give glory and praise to God your Father. Then Jesus, what did he call us? The light of the world, you see? And so in that regard, the devil is uh, not very happy with any of us. Now, David was exhausted, verse 15. Um, King James, and this is one of the reasons why I'm with the NIV, it says he waxed faint. Now, uh, see, you didn't know what that meant, did you? (laughs) You know, uh, what it means, the Hebrew word, is to fly away. So David was exhausted. His strength was fleeting, and he himself was at the point of, of just disappearing or fading away. And he was backed into a corner. Can you picture it? Faltering. Uh, fiery, his fiery nephew, Abishai, appears and rescues him in that great contest. And what a wake-up call, verse 17. So the idea is to minimize David's involvement in his later years, getting a little older, you know, They almost lost him. Without the courage of Abishai, we'd have a dead David in this chapter. They almost died. This this younger man comes in and saves the day. And then one commentator said, um, you know, to rally around our leaders uh, when they cannot provide what we need and supply uh, what they cannot supply. Um, Happily, 
uh, Abishai comes in, and you know Abishai, this is what I was thinking, Abishai was really a constant source of frustration to David. Uh, he's one of the sons of Zeruiah, his sister. And all through 2 Samuel, what do I have in common with you sons of Zeruiah, right? Uh, they're always stepping out. They're always getting him trouble. They're never on the same page with him. And he's always kind of criticizing them. You know what? When he came in there, he's about to die. And this obnoxious nephew of his comes in and topples this menacing giant, his attitude toward this slightly irritating friend of his has now changed, has it not? <laughs> he has a renewed love and appreciation. When a writer put it this way, sometimes our brothers and sisters uh, in the Lord can get on our nerves. <laughs> no amens, that was a good sign. <laughs> uh, then God puts us in a situation that showcases their strength and our need and, and our value for them in our lives and things change. I can just hear David say after, you know, the, the, the giant goes down, I can just hear him say, I will never criticize that kid again. <laughs> now round two, all right? So that's round one. Round two, uh, it just says in the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines and their names are given and locations are supplied. It's just one verse, but it's got a, a great spiritual application. Listen to it. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines. Here's the takeaway. A proper theology makes a healthy Christian. I'm talking about a theology on suffering, the place of suffering in the Christian life. You know, Philippians chapter one, Paul says that it's been appointed unto you uh, to granted, the word is to gift somebody, to not only believe on his name, but to suffer on his behalf. It's a gift. It's been appointed. It's our destiny. It's something to expect. And we're going to talk about that. You need to have a proper theology or you, or you will come undone when the giants come. So here it is. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines. Of course, that is our, should be a bumper sticker on our cars. In the course of time, there's coming another struggle. In the course of time another difficulty. They don't go away, but Christians come in to the kingdom of God. They get born again and they get crazy ideas. Crazy ideas like God has put us in a little protective bubble and nothing bad's ever going to happen to us ever again. Amen? I mean, that's how we think sometimes, but not here. It says that sure enough, there comes another big boy bully that says, put up your dukes, and that's just the way it is with us. It doesn't matter where you are. I mean, I could take a show of hands to, to say how many of you are right now in a struggle, you know? There'd be a lot of hands going up, and some of you not. But I would say to you who didn't raise your hand, don't worry, in the course of time, <laughs> in the course of time, there will be another struggle. Oh, please let the Holy Spirit of the living God burn that into the heart of your soul and the fabric of your being. Then you will be for, to be forewarned <laughs> is to be for, yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> I have told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. In this world you will have trouble. 
Take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, you know, when we name and claim promises, that's not one of them, is it? Uh, in this world, you will have trouble? Yes, amen, I claim it. Uh, <laughs> No, we don't want to claim that one. We want to avoid the ones where Jesus says, let me give you a little dose of reality. In this world, you will have trouble, but don't let it get you down. I'm with you. I've overcome the world, and I'm going to make you an overcomer too. It doesn't mean there's no giants. It just means that you're going to have victory with these gigantic problems. And when we perceive a, a defeat of some sort, we see it as a defeat. But God says, you know what? That's exactly what you needed. That's exactly how I'm working it out. You see, listen, 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 2, we sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. He destined us for trials because they are useful in his economy and God's thinking of how he grows Christian maturity, character, faith, and all these wonderful things in us through adversity. That's just how it is. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have this wonderful peace with God through Jesus through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace which, in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But we, we don't just rejoice at that. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Romans chapter 5. So, so there's a place for struggle. You're not necessarily doing anything wrong. People who are very godly suffer and have problems and have to face giants. In the course of time, another battle, another giant. That's just kind of the way it, it is. Immature Christians, unsuspecting Christians who have a bad theology about what being a Christian is all about, they encounter troubles and they're confused. They start questioning things. Uh, they get unsettled and sidetracked and they develop resentment toward God. God, how could you? What do you mean? How can we ever start a prayer with Lord and how could you? They don't seem to go in the same Lord, supreme authority. How could you? You know, I don't understand how we think like that. Uh, but listen, if you're thinking God needs to do X, Y, and Z and God doesn't live up to X, Y, and Z, uh, then you're, you're feeling resentment toward him. Your nose is on a joint there. You're, just, you're, not, you're not very happy. In the course of time, there will be another battle with the Philistines because there needs to be for your good and for his glory. Let me just go on just a little bit more on this. All right, listen. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 8, in his parable about the, the seed sowing, he said, he described the gospel like seed sown into somebody's heart. And he said there are four scenarios. He said uh, there's seed that falls on the, the hard path, and then there's seed that falls on rocky ground, thorns and thistles, and then good fertile soil, right? Here's Jesus. He said the seed, listen, to tie this together with me. The seed that falls on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root, 
They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. You know why? Because in the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines. And because of their bad thinking, their improper and inadequate theology of suffering, and its good and rightful place in the Christian life, the expected and destined place in the Christian life, they fall away. There's no root. Strong theological, right thinking, sound doctrine gives you a root so that when the giant comes, you're expected, you're waiting, you're ready, you handle it with the readiness that comes from knowing the Bible and um, using the weapons that God has given us. Uh, It gets hot, we don't wither, we expect it. Uh, The storms come, we don't get ripped out of the ground, we hunker down. And when in the course of time, when another battle with the Philistines arise, we go to war and we use the tools that God supplies. Instead of whining, complaining, sulking, withdrawing and dragging our feet and falling apart. Amen? Amen. That just doesn't work. It's a waste of time. Not that I would know. (laughs) But I have this friend. (laughs) Uh, He shaves his head. He's a lot like me. (laughs) All right. Uh, By the way, let's close number two, round two, on a happy note. There are no Philistines in heaven. Not a one. They're not in the book. Only only people's names in the book of the Lamb's Book of Life. And you could look on the P for Philistine. You're not going to see one. They don't get in. You can be a former Philistine, but you can't be a current giant problem. Amen? Amen. They just don't. Right. Yeah. So can, can we please, as mature Christians, can we please stop expecting heaven now when we haven't seen his face yet? When we see his face, we'll be changed and there'll be no more tears or crying or sorrow or pain or mourning for the, for the former things will have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. That's the day. That's the day when things settle down. Now, third scenario, we're almost done. Verse 19, it's really simple. Uh, one of Goliath's brothers appear now. And so we just have one sentence here. Let's, let's have a takeaway for this little um, fact. Another simple description with, an, with a valuable insight. Now, here's this guy, El Hanan, kills Goliath. In the Hebrew, there in that verse, uh, it doesn't have brother. It has among Goliath, which can mean Goliath's kinsmen. And so rightfully so, King James adds, and other translation adds, brother, because First Chronicles, I believe it's chapter 20 and verse 5, says the exact same line, but has brother in the line. So we know, first of all, we know who killed Goliath. It was David, right? So Elhanan kills Goliath's brother. And you'll see it's a very important lesson here, I believe, that there's a family resemblance. And just because you kill Goliath doesn't mean that he, he doesn't have related siblings that will be on your case as well. That bear, listen to me, a striking family resemblance. And you can see that because he has a weapon just like his brother did. Now, if we're going to make some spiritual applications about um, Goliath's brother coming after us. You know, let's look, let's look at pride as Goliath. Now, now this Goliath has siblings, 
All right, so just when you think you've done away with pride in the big way, you've got boasting or hypocrisy or fault finding or conceit. You know, they're all, they're just siblings. They're the brothers, all right? And so I don't know if you've ever seen this happen, but you get a victory and you're feeling good about it. And then it just kind of resurrects in in a different sort of way, but there's a strong family resemblance to the very thing that you've been struggling with. And there it is again for round number two. And so uh, we need to know that Goliath's brothers are, are as equally deadly as Goliath himself. But happily, uh, just as they're related to Goliath and bear striking features, they go down the same way Goliath went down. Simple trust in the Lord, uh, obedience on him and his word, walking with the Lord. David said to the Philistine, uh, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have uh, def- def- defied. First uh, Samuel chapter 17. Uh, what puts Goliath on his back lands his oversized brothers in the same defeated position. Amen. The Lord has given us weapons, right? So listen, for though we live in the world, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3, though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Don't you wish you could get your hands on some of those? He's saying you have them. You have weapons, and mostly I believe that spiritual uh, warfare's main objective is to keep you from understanding that you have those kinds of weapons. Listen to what he says. Uh, On the contrary, uh, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's wonderful. Okay, finally, number four, uh, verses 21 to the end. The weapon of intimidation. Kind of an interesting little battle, is it not? Let me paraphrase. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan and the son of David, David's brother, Shimea. Uh, these four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. So let's just reflect here now. Another huge beast, because you know what? In the course of time, another battle came. But this one's a little bit different. This giant comes with extra added features. (laughs) He's taunting Israel just like Goliath. It's happening in Goliath's hometown, Gath. Uh, David's nephew's gonna come to the rescue, a different nephew, one through his brother, not his sister. Uh, Another giant to face and a little uh, intimidating. So this guy's not just a giant, but he's kind of got a dark, mysterious dread to him. Now, you remember the Princess Bride, right? Now think about it, the six fingers, remember? Now, Count Rugen in The Princess Bride killed Domingo Montoya's father. 
And Montoya hunts this guy down for 20 years. And all he talks about is the man with the six fingers, right? And there's like a glove, a black glove with an extra little finger there. And it's just like kind of spooky and eerie and kind of makes you not want to meet a guy like that. I don't know. Adds really to the mystery and the fear and the intimidation. Um, Honestly, that's what's going on here, believe it or not. The spiritual application, not only is he huge, not only is he a big, strong war machine, he's different. He's kind of a freak of nature, all right? So he's got a sort of a monster feel about him. I mean, you know what? When you're fighting something you can relate to, you know, I know that guy, or I know about this problem, or but when this big, overwhelming thing comes at you you're like what are you what is this what's happening and you see them dangling or whatever they're doing and and you just what you just want your mama (laughs) yeah here's a good quote here spiritual application again when satan wants to come against us he sometimes goes over the top with his fear and intimidation tactics and because an overcome christian is a disabled one six fingers and six toes freaks most people out (laughs) amen (laughs) uh, they considered him a demon or a god or just a monster and he played that up you'll never win this one this giant diabolical freakish nightmare has come against them, and who's adequate for this? So once you give way to that kind of fear, you're no match for the enemy, and and he's poised for victory. Now, that's not the kind of uh, fear we're to succumb to as believers. I remember just one of the great reformers in the 1500s. He writes about uh, having a, a very evil night vision where he felt the presence of the devil himself. And I believe it because this man changed the world. I mean, the Lord changed the world through this man. But to stop this man, I can understand why the devil himself would actually appear at his bedside. So he wakes up with a start and he sees this nasty vision of like he just paints a picture of a monster ready to just dig into him with a fatal blow. And the reformer, he, he turns over and he says, oh, it's just you, and rolls over and goes back to sleep. Now, the, what, he, what he said was that in a moment he realized that he was under an attack from the evil one and that what consumed him was not fear of the evil one, but the presence and power of God. Is greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so, you know what? This is my little takeaway from the six-fingered guy. I, I believe that we all have private, not technically demons, but, you know, as the world says, we all have our demons, those kinds of nightmare-besetting kind of sins and personal problems that, that if you only knew this about me, uh, you know, or if God only knew or whatever, there are these freakish six-fingered, six-toed beast that, that we think, only I struggle with this. Or this, this terrible thing only happened to me. 
And, and this is some things we keep, and I hear throughout my ministry all the time, if you only knew, and then you hear about it. And you know what? Many, many people have six-fingered giants that, that are really, really scary, and, and they're confusing, and they're not normal, because you know why? They're not normal. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, listen to me. Jesus' blood and his grace covers all of our little freakish problems, our little secret, nasty, scary, intimidating things that haunt us like that. And I'll tell you what, when God the Son spills his blood and then says, it is finished, that's serious business. I believe the Lord over the taunts of the evil one who says, deal with this. You know, sorry. I, I need an extra digit to make it work. But yeah, I think you know what I'm saying. And uh, the Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom shall you fear? The Lord is the strength of your life. Of whom shall you be afraid? Psalm 27, 1 and 2. And notice the big boy with 24 digits, he falls just like the one with 20. You know? God is not freaked out by any giant. He has never been afraid of anybody. He really doesn't. He laughs. Psalm 2. They all get together. They're shaking their fists. They're going to fire on the, the Lord's anointed. And the Lord laughs and says, seriously? <laughs> all right. Lastly, notice uh, on an up note. All right. We'll close out with an up note. The power of our influence, our example. Now, here's what I noticed. There are strains of heroes uh, with David's DNA, and there are strains of villains with Goliath. Now, did you notice that three sons of David's sister, Zeruiah, are his three commanders? Did you remember that? And now one son of David's brother is also a military hero, and there are others. He has 30 men that look to him who are like special Navy SEAL kind of guys, his fighters, and then he has another 600 who want to be just like him. And then there's, there's millions of us who read about him through the ages. And we want to be like him. We want to love the Lord like he loved the Lord. We want to fight the battles uh, of the Lord. We want to be people after God's own heart. It must have encouraged David in his old age and uh, that his life had inspired others to slay giants. Because did you notice that he didn't kill one of the four? He does not kill anyone in these four battles. It's people who look up to him and emulate him and through that have found the secret like David found through simple trust and obedience and love for God, he can slay and take down a giant. And those men look to him and caught it from him. And now David's sitting back and going, man, man, there's Goliath's brother. Go get you. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever he did, he didn't do it that way, but he had his own way of slaying, right? Because he was mumbling under his breath, oh, you come against me, you know, with your big spear like Goliath, but I come against you like David did in the name of the Lord, you know? I and you, we all as Christians, we want to leave a legacy. We want to imprint on people, uh, inspire them to live for God, to make a difference in this world. I, I really don't want to know because of my falling short or my compromises or my watered-down Christian life that I affect somebody else. I promise you, 
whoever you are listening to my voice, people are watching you. Well, I don't claim that. Listen, stop making excuses. People are watching you, whoever you are, and you're making a difference. We just are very, we have these natures that like to imitate, and people will be imitating you. How do you handle giants? They're going to imitate you. Live in such a way that we should all live in such a way that we can say with the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And then to watch other people kind of step up and be bold and pray and live their faith. and just what, what, It just feels like a valuable life, a life worth living. Is this that my life mattered. It, 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 was, it touched another life. It, my faith in Christ was replicated in another. And I think that's the call of the Christian life is to replicate, to witness, and to see others uh, fight the good fight of faith. So here's the one-minute takeaway, all right? What I took away, number one, it never matters how big the problem, only how big the God. Number two, God's leaders are often the object of spiritual attack. They need support and encouragement from those around them, especially when they come under fire. Number three, in the course of time, another battle. Difficulties are a normal part of your Christian life. Expect them, handle them according to God's word, and know they're working for your good. Four, remember that Goliath has brothers who are just as deadly, so stay vigilant. And lastly, number five, even the most bizarre and frightening giants are toppled by the same simple trust in the Lord. So do not buckle to fear and intimidation. Instead, let God's love cast out all fear. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love your word. Your word speaks life to us. It just feels like you looked inside our hearts and talked exactly what we needed to hear. Um, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, supernatural, God-breathed word that comforts and corrects and soothes and heals and rebukes where necessary. We bow our, our wills to yours. It's a good will. And help us, Lord, we're just so struggling. We just struggle. And you're okay with that because you know we do. We love you. We commit ourselves to your care in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. I can imagine somebody saying, oh, Pastor Ross, you just don't understand. My giant, it's, it's different. And there's seven fingers. <laughs> you didn't mention that one. Let me tell you something. We are destined for gigantic problems in this life. We're also destined to overcome. Read 1 John chapter 5 tonight if you struggle with still feeling a little bit unsure who's going to win this thing. Because it says that God has destined us to overcome the world. And then it says, who is the one that overcomes the world? And then it says, he who's born of God, she who's born of God. So if you're born again, if you've connected, the Holy Spirit's in you, you, you've been called, you've been justified, you've been sanctified, you've been glorified and raised from the dead and seated, past tense, 
as though it already happened in heavenly places. You're already there from God's point of view. He's just saying, could we just work this thing out? Walk it out. Walk it out. I've destined you. You're coming whether you think so or not. Salvation doesn't depend on your own assurance, but on the assurance of God's word that when you've complied with his word, you will overcome the world if you're born again. Born again, he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How easy is that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we all got problems and it's easy to talk about having no fear right now when the giant is out of sight and we don't feel the heat bearing down on us. But Father, help us instead of setting our, our sight on things that we can see, which are temporal, let us look beyond to the unseen things which are eternal so that we can have Christian hope and the assurance of what you've already promised, that he who believes that Jesus, the Son of God, has been born again, overcomes the world. We thank you for that promise. We believe it. Now help us to live with that kind of confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.